Our sacred text reading this morning comes from Micah chapter 6, verses 6 through 8, which can be found on page 816 in the Old Testament section of your pew Bible. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? And there ends the reading. Well, good morning. I'd first like to show my respect and acknowledge the host nations of this land, their elders past and present on which this gathering takes place today. As I bring you greetings on behalf of the churches of the Pacific Northwest Conference of the United Church of Christ, as well as our two camps in Sidson and Pilgrim Furs, and also as part of our community as a downtown living facility in Seattle for, for Seniors Cold Horizon House. And on all their behalf, I get to bring you greetings on this day. I also get to bring you a word of thanks uh, for the different things that you share and give with a wider church, with your siblings in Christ throughout the Pacific Northwest Conference, as well as the United Church of Christ. The gifts that you give and what you share helps make sure that in addition to the ministry that you do here and share here on behalf of people, not just on your own behalf, but you really share it on behalf of all of those who are part of this denomination, but you also, through your gifts, get to support those ministries that are in other places. There are things that you have given and things that you have shared that if not for those gifts, there'd be people in different places who would not be fed. Because of some of those things that you have given, there have been ministries and churches that have gone through difficult times and hard times that would not have someone else be with them or be present with them or help find resources through those times if it wasn't, if it wasn't for some of those things that you have shared and some of those things that you have given. There are people in different parts of the world who would not have an advocate, not have someone else be willing to stand by their side during difficult times if not for what you have given and shared. So for all of those ways in which you give and all those different ways that you share, I bring you words of thanks from your siblings of Christ, from your interfaith partners, and from your international partners, who because of some of those things that you share and that, give, that you give are helped. That because of what you share and what you give on this day are not alone. So before I move into the sermon itself, I'd invite you to pray with me. And I've been here once or twice, so, so you know what to do. Simply say the words that I say after I say them. So let us pray together. Dear God, Dear God on, this day, on this day, meet us where we are. Meet us where we are. Dear God, Dear God on, this day, on this day, meet us where we are. Dear God, on this day, meet us where we are. Amen and amen. So I, I, like many of us, at one point or another, have heard from my doctor that I could use a few pounds or exercise a little bit more or eat a little bit better. And I get it. They're trying to do their jobs to help improve my life and extend it a bit. This is what they should be doing. That's what I expect them to do. 
It's not a question we get in the church that much, and as one who gets to attend dozens of church pollocks every year, I can't say that I'm altogether upset about that. It's something we should be thinking about as stewards of our bodies, of course, but an occasional feast is good for the soul. Now, I was never a smoker, but I know a lot of folks that who were or are. The number of folks who don't think smoking is bad for you is a pretty small one anymore. And this is one I do hear coming up in church once in a while, particularly during prayer concerns when someone is asking for prayers of support as they work to quit smoking. It's come a long way from those days when smoking was one of those things that would take place in the church social hall, or there'd be some smoke coming from more than one pastor's office. Still, smoking cessation has not been one of the primary foci of church life. However, there is an emerging health threat that the church is in a unique position to address. According to an article by a former Surgeon General in the Harvard Business Review, the numbers of those suffering with it have doubled since the 80s. At least 40% of Americans report that they struggle with this condition. It reduces a person's lifespan as much as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. It is, quote, also associated with a greater risk of cardiovascular disease, dementia, depression, and anxiety. At work, it reduces task performance, limits creativity, and impairs other aspects of executive functioning, such as reasoning and decision-making. In England, it's become such a growing health concern that the government has established a new position and office to work around it and to reduce it. Do you have any guess what a loneliness Loneliness. Loneliness. It might seem strange to think about it about this way at first, but loneliness is a health crisis that is killing people and diminishing the quality of people's health at an alarming rate. We humans are social animals. We've heard about that before, but we don't always take it seriously. We don't just need each other for occasional support in some of the ways that we've thought about it, but more and more scientific studies are also showing that being around other people simply makes us healthier. In other animals, there's even some brain chemicals that help with overall mental and physical health that are only released when those animals are with other in, or in the presence of other animals. And there is growing proof that humans are affected in a similar way. So Micah 6.8 is no stranger to us. There are a few verses that seem as clear and encompass so much of what calls many of us to be people of faith. It's the favorite verse of many and is one of those go-to verses for some of us who are involved in advocacy or organizing work. It also has a close relationship to the idea of being in relationship with one another, however. As opposed to now where we sometimes assume a verse like this is more about a personal application to our lives, during the time it was written, it was always assumed that it was about the community as a whole. Within our own conference, the conference board has adopted deepening relationships, doing justice, loving kindness, and walking humbly with God as our conference intentions. When we called the Reverend Courtney Stank to Greer as our minister for church vitality, her very first task was to meet with individuals and churches for listening sessions to determine what church vitality might look like within the Pacific Northwest Conference. And over and over and over again, she heard the stories of isolation and loneliness that came up from the different folks that she met with. As she began to meet with folks in different places, in different contexts, at different times, one of the things that came up again and again that people found vitality in were the relationships that we had with each other. When they had those relationships, there were different things that they did 
together. And a lot of those things ended up falling into the Micah 6, 8 categories. This text and these themes have become so clearly important that I'm doing something I've never really done before in this work and preaching on this one text for the whole year. If any of you are at annual meeting or listen to those sermons, you're going to hear some pretty similar stuff come up in this sermon that came up in that one as well. This work and this commitment is too important not to be shared more widely, I believe. Personally, this verse has been an important one for me for a long time, but I admit more of an exercise in personal piety than really as a metric for healthy communities or even personal health. I've used Micah 6.8 as part of every benediction I've given for almost 20 years, and you'll hear it come up again today. When asked of my own favorite verse, this is the one that I'd probably quote. But I have to be honest with you, although I could recite you the whole verse from several different translations, the most important translation and the most faulty is probably that one I made in my head that went something like this. Do justice and all that other stuff. Now, I might not be alone with that. I know I chose to become part of the UCC because of some of these calls to justice that are part of our work and our denomination. But still, to limit it to just the do justice stuff, without looking at it in a more holistic way and more the way that it affects us as a community, loses some of the point of this text. Last winter, I, I found myself in one of those down moments. I was struggling with my own ministry and general sense of purpose in life. I was lonely in my work. Now, what I'm going to sound next might sound more like a self-reverential tangent, but I think it'll make more sense I, like many of us, are affected not just by that loneliness and some of that sense of isolation, but by the general state of what sometimes seems to be a world of decay. With church leadership, in particular at this time and place, the church is most frequently defined, or seems to be defined, by, by loss or changes in membership, this sense of failure and loss and relinquishment. And in the middle of these challenges, when we're in different positions of church leadership, there can be a different sense of failure or that somehow we are not succeeding because of what's happening on this larger scale. The church is at a crossroads of many of these different struggles because this is one of these places where we talk about these things, the way that the world is changing, the way that we might be present in the world. And as different pieces come up that sometimes substitute for what church might be, we find ourselves in a difficult moment looking for our own relevancy. Towards the end of last year, I was really feeling the weight of all of these things, all of this stuff that so often seems to be about the way the church gets to be defined, and it kind of felt like a pillow over my face. And frankly, getting ready to turn 50 didn't help. So I'm not usually one for New Year's resolutions most years, but I needed to do something differently this year. And so somewhere along the way, as we began to try to live into what the Micah 6-8 might mean within the life of the conference, I began to think about it a little bit more in a different way. Because even though I thought it was great as a conference or an organizational idea, I can't say that I would really dived into it in a way that I needed to dive into it. Because if there are some ways in which this is about vitality, it's a participatory text as opposed to simply an intellectual one. So part of what I started to do is begin to study this text as part of that and preach about it some more and speak about it some more. And I learned so much about it. Micah 6.8 is a corporate call to a new kind of offering. We heard that within the text and the way that it was read today. 
just before that, the Micah 6-8 piece, the piece we're more familiar about, Micah rejects the idea that we need riches to get us closer to God and God's will. Using the New Revised Standard Version of the Bible, he says that God has told us what is good and what does God require of us but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with God. But when I was learning about this text, I came across a few references to what is really one of the most important words in this text. Now, as a good UCC person, I sometimes bristle a little bit at the word require. Does that sound familiar at all? Sometimes I've used it as sort of a a little bit of a cover for some of the justice work when I'm not necessarily feeling as confident about it because I sort of shrug my shoulders and I say, what am I supposed to do? It's required. But over the last couple of months, I've begun to understand how wrong I got this in some ways. I had the shallowest understanding of the word require possible. I read the most concise, deeper description of the word require in a United Methodist reporter interview uh, the pastor, uh, Reverend James C. Howell, who actually wrote a book called What Does the Lord Require? This is a long quote, but it's a good one. So in that interview, he said this, quote, The subtle nuances of the very strong Hebrew word derash are just fascinating. Derash is the Hebrew word for require, or as it's been translated. Um, require, he says, misses the heart of it, I think, for we resort to notions of rules or grading, as in the teacher requires you to turn in a three-page paper by Friday. The verb derash also has undertones of affection, or the healthiest sort of dependency, as in the child requires his mother's love, or the flower requires rain and sunshine. There is a mood of seeking in derash, lovers seeking each other out, and a shepherd seeking lost sheep, and in the Old Testament, both situations use this word derash. So when the Lord requires justice and mercy, it isn't that the Lord insists or demands these things. God seeks them for us, yearns them for them, and frankly needs them from us as intimate partners in God's adventure here. Unquote. So in its essence, as I understand it, God is not calling us to simply our doing with these texts, but into our being. This is what we are made for. We're not being called to these requirements as part of some cosmic to-do list. We're being reminded of neglected ingredients for living. We're not being disciplined by God. This is God seeking a relationship with us through our interactions with each other. This changes the face of the entire rest of the text as not just a call for right acts, but a call for right relationships. In this light, to do justice is an invitation to those right relationships. It is a call that's deeply connected to right rate relationships. As part of the conference's commitment to the call of Micah 6-8, we've been exploring using community organizing methods as a means of organizing the conference itself, as though it in and of itself is a community. One of the central ideas of community organizing is the invitation for people to speak to those things that motivate them, be that excitement or worry about something. With an organizing speak, this is bracketed in the category of self-interest. And the idea is is that if some people need self-interest, they will begin to discover mutual interest, too. It's an attempt to reconnect communities, to help them listen to each other in some ways that maybe somewhere along the way, sometimes, it seems as though we've forgotten. This theme of mutuality continues in the idea of love-kindness. I'd never really had a deep understanding of love-kindness before. I took it at its face value, something more like you should really, really think that kindness is great. But it's a lot more than that. First of all, this is another place that understanding the Hebrew helps a bit. The word here is chesed. 
And it describes the acts of loving kindness that someone might do. The acts of loving kindness. More and more I have come to refer to this part of the text not simply as love kindness, but to doing acts of loving kindness. I think it better helps explain the intent of the scripture. This idea is also deeply wrapped up in the idea of mutuality and relationship. We help each other to correct what is hoped to be temporary situation in which our sibling is in need of help when we work through the mutuality of this idea of chesed, knowing that this both helps the health of the community we are part of overall, as well as reflects the reality that we are also the person that needs to be helped. It is not simply an act of loving kindness based simply on donating extra time or resources, even though that's important in its own right, as much as an intent to correct the fact that anyone has more than what they need and anyone else has less than what they need. It is also done for the sake of the whole community in this understanding of a chesed. The great Buddhist teacher, the Reverend Angel Kyo Williams, says that one who is suffering does not have the capacity to serve their community fully. And so the idea within chesed is that none of us is free from suffering and that none of us is free from needing help. It is all a matter of degrees. So again, it is this mutuality that is deeply intertwined within the deeper understanding of requires and to do justice. It is the deeper understanding of relationship. Walking humbly with God continues this theme still further. In the past, I'd imagined this only as sort of a quiet walking conversation with God or sitting with God as almost a holy spiritual director. This is part of that sense of piety that we sometimes bring to this text, which isn't important in its own right, but it's not only that. It is deeply wrapped up in prayer practices that unite our hearts, minds, and actions. And although I still obviously think that prayer is deeply intertwined with this verse, there's been another relational image that's come to mind too. And that is God as a runner. We sometimes look at God as this unchanging rock or unchanging being, but maybe God is moving faster than we can potentially and fully understand. God is the presence and a flow that surpasses the speed of flow in our own life. When God meets us where we are, sometimes that's this loving God who comes to comfort us, but I'm convinced that more often this is God waiting for us to catch up. And that, in and of itself, can be humbling. Secondly, this yearning of God is expressed through our relationships with each other is, in and of itself, humbling. It's not always easy, but it's so vitally important. It's an antidote to the grandiosity that props up the ideologies of supremacists. Let me read that again. It is an antidote to the grandiosity that props up the ideologies of supremacy that suggests you or I, in and of ourselves, are independent and self-sufficient. It is an antidote to loneliness. God tells us something different and invites us into prayer and confession. There have been days when I've had to confess that I've become a person I did not want to become, where I have fallen into patterns that are so focused on my own pain that I have not seen the pain of others, or just as dangerously have only seen the pain of the others and minimized the sharing or the honesty about my own. Neither within this idea of mutuality that comes from Micah 6.8 is right, helpful, fair, or just. Both are a denial of mutuality and a denial of the need to be in relationship. Yes, there are different roles at different times we are asked to be in by our communities for the sake of our communities, and we are free to live into those roles by those boundaries we have. 
And those roles don't mean that within our relationships with each other, we are called to find ways to balance out the rights and responsibilities that are entrusted to people in those roles. Many of us have different roles within our community, be it a teacher, be it a pastor, be it a doctor, be it a politician, all of these different things that might be part of our different roles and our different ideas within life. There's both that way that we relate to those personally, or are called to those personally, but also serve in those because they are needed by the community. It's the balance of these things that within those roles recognizes who we are as a person, but also puts boundaries around those roles so that we can live into those roles and are given the protection we need to live into those roles. While at the same time, the community limits what it needs by those boundaries too. We say in many churches, like yours does, no matter who you are or where you are in life's journey, you are welcome here, but struggling together with defining the boundaries of here and what that is, is work that is usually humbling before it is rewarding. Micah 6.8 is, in and of itself, not a call to personal piety, but an invitation to deepen relationships of mutuality with one another. This is revolutionary in a time when loneliness is increasingly used as a weapon for manipulation and control. Loneliness and isolation have become constructed and enforced by the powers and principalities to build dependency on them and get in the way of us being in right, mutual relationships with each other. Uh, a lot of social media, which has its pluses and its minuses, a lot of social media had one way that people were able to be connected to it. But it also counts on loneliness through all those different likes, some different affirmation during the day and that you can receive through that because sometimes people aren't receiving them through other means. And sometimes within social media itself, it's counted as that only place where people really express their intentions or talk about their day. The same people who have developed some pieces around social media, and this is not a big secret, are also some of those folks that have worked on the ways to make gambling more addictive. So that with the little notifications and the little beings here and the little beings there, you get this affirmation that you might not be receiving in other places in life, and you go to the one place where you think that you can count on it. At the root of oppression is enforced loneliness and isolation. At the root of justice work is refusing to be isolated or to comply with the systems that isolate others. Therefore, this time and place, one of the most important calls of the church is to fight isolation and loneliness. Baptism is something that we don't do alone but in community. In this time and this place, it is a revolutionary act. Communion is not something we do alone, but something we do together. In this time, in this place, it is a revolutionary act. When we join a church, we are also making commitments to each other mutually. The person who is joining the church makes commitments, and the people within the church make commitments to that person. And in this time, and this place, it is a revolutionary act. Even potlucks and meals that we gather by bringing what we can are a special part of community life and one way to establish mutuality. In this time, and in this place, it is a revolutionary act. We are called to insist that we are not the property of any corporation, institution, church, or government, that but we belong to God and to each other. This call to loneliness, this call to uh, deal with loneliness, this call to mutuality is something that we all deal with. And I think it's something that for many of us, we're here because of the experience of church has given a place where we do feel included, where we do feel some sense of being at home. I know one of the things that you've been working on is being able to have some conversations with each other during worship and during this time of worship together. And so I'm going to invite you into one of those conversations right now. 
I'm going to ask you a little bit of time to have a conversation with somebody, maybe somebody that you uh, don't know as well, or someone you just haven't talked to for a little while, uh, and answer this one question. In addition to those things that I listed, what are some other ways in which you've experienced being included and held within your church life and your community life? So I'm going to say that question one more time. What are some other ways in which you've experienced being included and held within your church life and within your community life? About how long do you usually take for that? Uh, we kind of feel it out. All right. Well, let's go ahead and maybe, do that. Maybe up to 10 minutes even. All right. It's going well. So since you talked about requirements. Yes. Okay. So one of the requirements that we have, we only had one exception for one week, was that uh, couples need to find somebody else. Okay. Because uh, you can do your, you can repeat it at home, say, if you want to. Uh, the other is I encourage you, now that we've done this for a few weeks, to, to try as much as possible to maybe connect with somebody you haven't connected with yet. All right? Um, so, yes, uh, find a pair, and it is a communion Sunday, so like we did a month ago, we will come together for, uh, in, in pairs for communion. So, go ahead. conversation, you don't have to tell everybody this whole story because you're obviously you know, sitting there with somebody who might have been telling you something that they didn't intend to share more widely, um, but just sort of like with, with a word or two, just sort of popcorn style, um, what were some of those things that you heard come up in your conversation? Yeah? Music. Music. What else? Inclusion. Inclusion. Reaching out. Listening to needs. Listening to needs. We talked about how Jim was dealing with his problems from this weekend. Mm -hmm. And uh, how he felt in life. We also talked about some of my problems, but we won't talk about that. really important part uh, as, as around some reaching out of this stuff. But when we look at a condition that, that 40% of Americans are saying they're suffering from, and that's doubled uh, since the 80s, um, th this, this means that some of the things that we used to have that helped us do this um, are no longer in place. And so that intentionality around it um, to make sure that you, you might have to do a little bit more. There, there was a, a past time where uh, another place in time where you didn't have to put as much effort to it because it was so ingrained within the systems that we have. But as some of those systems have fallen apart and people become more mobile, um, simply moving from one place to another place and not know each other about, the intent that you have to put into both reaching out to people um, 
as uh, someone who might want to meet some more folks and feel a little bit lonely, as well as the intent we have to put into reaching out to folks um, who we don't necessarily know before or want to get to know. The intent around that um, is more important now than it's ever been. Yeah, thanks. Anything else? Somebody said, listen, Christ, what does God require of us but to deepen our relationships through doing justice, loving acts of loving kindness, and walking humbly with God? By being together within those radical acts of sharing food over at the table at the potluck, about reaching out to a neighbor and just saying hello, about reaching out and asking how we can help, and also equally important, asking out for help. What does God make us for? What does God call us to do but these things? There is no greater time, there is no greater opportunity than to do some of these simple things, these things that call us to be together, that call us out of our own loneliness and maybe reaches out to the loneliness of another's than now. The church has a role in confronting what is this loneliness epidemic and it is deeply rooted in our ancient texts, traditions, and wisdom. This is what we are called to do. This is what we are made for. Amen.